Jun wanting to go deep. And he's got him! Jamison Williams eating up the yardage again. 81-yard reception. Here's a big hole. Look out, he is gone! Travion Henderson. And hand of Reese Hall. Reese Hall! Welcome back to Burning the Red Shirt. We're back with an early kickoff here at 4 p.m. in God's time zone. Um, that's inside joke, guys. But anyway, um, I got Chris and Andrew here with me again. You guys doing all right? Doing good. I don't think that's an inside joke. I mean, it's. I think yeah, it's everyone's on the inside at this point. I think it's yeah, everybody. Solid verbal, right? Yeah, we have to agree. Central time zone is the best time zone, right? And I am in it. You guys, you're the only one in it. And you guys are looking from the outside in. Um, is it, who, who actually originated it, though? Is it Solid Verbal, or is it that the dudes from like SB Nation, or who is that, it? That podcast played nobody. Tap them. Your, your boy, your boy Godfrey. Nobody. I think Godfrey did it. That's yeah. my personal opinion. But he's he's ATL like you, right? Yeah, he is. But I don't. I think he's not local anymore. He's. I think he's in like Mississippi. Really? I don't. I don't. I don't. Give him money to hear his thoughts on his Patreon or whatever. So I, he can't, uh, per sources, he keeps all of the good info behind his Patreon. So besides the, the clickbait that he tweets out. So I never actually get anything good from him. Well, news, guys. I got 16 subscribers to the Burning the Red Shirt YouTube channel. Yeah. In right. case you're wondering. Um, but we want to kind of jump into this poll question that was tweeted out on the BTR uh, Twitter account. Um, just full disclosure, I 99% of the time run the account, but this 1%. You don't, don't got to do that. You don't got to do that. I'm not even saying who. <laughs> Somebody took control of the account and tweeted this question out. Won't name names. But the question was we are getting deep into spring game season. How much do you think spring game performances matter? Zero relevance, very little relevance, fairly relevant, or extremely relevant. Now, the poll says 52.6% say very little relevance, and that's what I voted. I don't know what you guys voted, but that's my thought. What would you guys vote? I voted very a lot of relevance to corrupt the, the data set. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Chris, what did you vote? I, same as you. Very little. Okay. <laughs> so my th uh, thinking on that is there's a lot of different angles you can look at it. But in a spring game, there's so many different factors. If, if a guy gets reps with the ones, that would, generally you say, okay, that's great. But if he's getting reps with the ones because two of the starters are, are injured or out and then they're locked in starters, does it really have that much relevance? Um, for me, not necessarily for this particular season. Maybe Dynasty it does, but for this particular season, I don't feel like it does. Because I, think that, I think there's a lot of variables that yeah. come into play with this. Uh, which could go on forever and ever. But, like, I think unless you're actually watching all the games or, like, talk, like watching all the games that you're going to then take away pieces from, 
there's no relevance, right? Because like a good example would be LSU had their spring game, and I think Corey Kiner was out and TDP was out. So then somebody, I saw somebody say like, hey, who started at running back? And they said it was Trey Bradford. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. I got Trey Bradford shares. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I read like two tweets down, and it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Kiner and so-and-so didn't play. And then like I read a little bit more, and it's like um, Armani Goodwin had like a 60-yard touchdown run. But like unless you watch it and like see the actual play maybe on that 60-yard touchdown round or – you know, like you could, it's one versus twos. It could be, it could be yeah. twos versus threes. It could be twos versus just the most random guys like that are out of position. There's just a ton of stuff that goes into it that like you have to really be all in on that for it to matter. And I would think too that like the younger, or I should say like the C2C guys probably get the most out of it because they, they like, they actually care about third stringers, you know. Like, because yeah. they need so much of that information over time. Like, if a guy is a second stringer, that's fine because they're pegging this for long term coverage. But don't some school, like, they have all different formats of spring games, right? Like, they'll do like offense versus defense, how it's scored. Like, I, I haven't really, I don't study spring games a whole lot, but I've noticed like they'll score, like, they'll be like 48 to six. But it's like, how does the defense score points? Is like they just get a turnover? Is that points? I I, I don't. Yeah, it's like turnover like stops. Three and outs. Okay. I, I, in fairness, I don't I don't really know, but I have seen the formats or like it's very misleading when you like read a headline like offense beats defense fifty two <laughs> to seven. Like okay, well, how's the defense scoring points? But I figured it was more so with just stops and turnovers and blocked field goals, whatever. But anyway, Andrew, you got any thoughts on the relevance of spring games? Did you listen in Nick's podcast about this, CFB Winning Edge? They, Nick Nick, in his verbose format talked for like an hour and a half about this. Uh, like no problem. Like Xavier and uh, what's his name? Bogman didn't even get a word in. It was great. <laughs> but it like it was interesting hearing Nick's perspective on the like echoing or maybe – Boiling down what a lot of coaches say that basically they're they've like barely installed any plays and in which in like I heard that term for the first time this year like in, install I never really understood what it meant before and I still don't like you put you played football Zach so maybe it means something to you I guess the idea is that you 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 don't practice your game plan every week and go until game week right and then you just decide like we're gonna do X Y and Z this week to attack this team's weaknesses and emphasize our strengths or whatever but uh yeah like that that first spring ball they might have only installed like five plays um so that bears itself out in the in in a lot of ways in terms of what you actually see in the spring game but i think there's so much that there for there's so many different ways that a spring game can be misleading I, have did you watch have you watched any this year i haven't no i haven't a little I, bit I caught of some goodness. of a, some of a handful i would say so not a ton but my, i have a theory that or maybe it's, maybe, I don't know if it's necessarily a theory, but I feel like spring games are more pass heavy than that teams pass more in spring games relative than to how, what they do in the regular season. Like, I don't think these teams are running for the most part. I think that they try, they generally try to avoid running the ball a, a lot of the time because it just seems like that's like if you're okay. 
the spring gaming format, like from a tackling perspective, you're pretty much not tackling at all. A lot of times, like if you watch yeah. the Ohio State one, the ones weren't getting tackled at all. Um, for the well, the quarterbacks have don't they have like the black jersey on or something? Yeah, like but, that? Dude, even, but even beyond it. that, like the, the when CJ Stroud was out there for the first X amount of series, the play didn't wasn't allowed to end with a tackle. Like it once the the defense got close, they just blew the play dead. So yeah. if you're you're not gonna run the ball in that format basically, right? Because, like, what's the point? Like, there's always players close to the ball when the ball is being ran. So we might as well just pass it. Uh, so you know, if you're trying to take anything away from, like, for instance, like, NC State threw the ball all over the place, right? Great that Devin Leary threw for, like, 300 yards and change. Yeah, against the, against the twos in a format where they're probably throwing the ball every single down. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Like, I don't even think you could take anything in the way of, like, tendencies from a spring game. Um, yeah, that's a good point because I, I was thinking, as you said it, I was like, why would these teams want to put out what they're going to do week one? Like, you're not going to you're not going to throw out there, this is what we're going to do and give everybody all this film of what we're going to do. Like, we're just going to keep it very generic, very just pretty basic to just see if our guys can beat another guy lined up against them in a live action with live rounds, essentially. That was like the whole USF thing. Yeah, was that like they didn't want to sh- they didn't want to broadcast it because they didn't want people mm. to see it because mm. they didn't want to give away tendencies. Yeah. So I mean, it's there's a lot that goes into it. Andrew makes a good point with like the tackling and stuff that I didn't even think about. I will say like Virginia Tech spring game, we you know Virginia Tech had two long touchdown passes to Caleb Smith and Caleb Smith's the lone returning receiver, so that's kind of intriguing, you know. It's also Virginia Tech offense, so don't worry about it. Um, but what, 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 like, if you if you're not paying attention to the actual actual game, you would have seen, you would know that the quarterback basically got sacked, but they didn't want to blow it dead, so they just <laughs> let him throw it, and it was like a sixty yard touchdown pass. It's like, I mean, like, it's possible he could have thrown that still, but you know, it's that type of stuff that you miss for sure. Yeah. Like the Boise State spring game, the defense won the spring game. So how do you look at that? Do you look at that as like, man, the offense just sucks, or is the defense really good? Like, I, I think don't, team I don't, tendencies are toast. You don't take away anything well, team-related defense, from these games. For sure, defense, ones versus twos, no tackling. You get points for punts and three and outs and stuff. Like in some of these formats, I think – you just can't take away anything team-related from this. The way I've always looked at it is it's a good thing that your defense – I mean, it's not a – I guess it's not a good thing. It's a not a bad thing that your defense is ahead of your offense because if your defense is ahead, that, in my opinion, would mean that your defense knows where to be. They, they, they've – they're, they're up to par, whereas the offense might be trying to learn a new system, new players, new whatever. But – I, again, I don't know that it really means anything in April, whereas you're going to get to July, yeah. August, and you're going to have – and another point we talked about pre, pre-show pre was what about guys that have just recently transferred in? Did they even play in the spring game? Yeah. And or the I, impact there, yeah. What about – or I should say maybe uh, – I was going to say my favorite thing until about 30 minutes about spring games was they sh- Vanderbilt football posted like a score. It was like – Offense ties defense 27 27. And then somebody retweeted it and was like, Bandy can't even beat themselves, which <laughs> great. Uh, and now my favorite thing is the New Mexico State spring game. Mm. 
Andrew, do you want to dive into the analysis there? Dude, but I feel I feel bad because I feel like I rip on New Mexico State all the time. <laughs> like from last year when some beat writer posted a snapshot of what their their facilities looked like, and it was on par with like your local middle school football field. But the, dude, what is that analysis that uh, that I, Nick dig, dug it up right? Like there there yeah. was no mention of a single player. <laughs> right, not a single player's name was mentioned. The only person's name mentioned in it was the the head coach. Even yeah. though, like, I I stumbled upon, I I assume it was a different beat writer. Given that whatever whoever wrote this thing up could not have tried harder to write in generalities. I stumbled upon your boy Zach uh, Watkins. I think he broke like a sixty yarder uh, in the, in the in the spring game or whatever it was spring scrimmage spring practice spring middle middle school thing that they did <laughs> over there but yeah dude that that right i i need to know where that write-up came from the winning edge found it and yeah. to give two or three great sentences to, to tell you what we're talking about here uh in this like six sentence article or clip that he I think it's the same one i'm looking several, at several right? yeah several thousand people filled the shady <laughs> side of the stadium to watch the aggies take the field under the guidance of first year coach jerry kill they give a jerry kill a couple of sentences information about him and it says the game featured the aggies offense against the team's defense no official score was kept but the aggie offense scored several touchdowns on some big plays and then my favorite sentence is, besides fans, the New Mexico State band and cheerleaders also attended, giving the event a festive feel. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, tell me you're not actually at the game right? without actually telling me you're at the You know, like, come on. Like, that's just so good. This one gives a little bit more. It says, Kill said after the scrimmage, they call it a scrimmage, that if the season began tomorrow, freshman quarterback Diego Pavia would get the start. For the Aggies, but that's it. Like that's the only player mentioned. Maybe, maybe you could take him in the the draft this week, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Drafting in the ten spot, so maybe it's not that bad of a reach. They're gonna be like, man, who is this guy? And everyone's gonna go try to dig up the guy, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, nobody watches me take a guy in a draft and says <laughs> like, oh, who is that guy? I gotta. Like that's like a Josh <laughs> thing, you know, like a Nate thing. Like mm. they pick a guy, and you're like. I've never heard of him. Who Do you think that? they take guys in those drafts just to be like, hey, I'm watching this guy just so you can see that they're watching? Heisey has noted in public that he's done that before. I would never admit that. Like, I, I would no. never want to think that I'm super sharp and everything I do is with, like, tactical purpose. Exactly. So I, I would never admit that. Um, but, like, we're in the best ball tournament that Chris and I are in where we do two drafts a month. I, I don't think you can be that like nonchalant even with your late round picks when we're drafting in April and you know at like you're gonna randomly lose four to five guys for dumb reasons leading up to the season. Like the idea that it's just oh a late round pick pick I'll throw a dart. Like that dart better have some line of aim where you can actually see him hitting the dartboard because you're gonna you're gonna your team's gonna trip a trip just by itself without taking into account that you're maybe taking five, 10, 15% uh, dart throws to begin with. Like, and we're drafting without bye weeks. 
I'm not looking right. up everybody's I, body. Dude, I have no. I could. I could be. I could have multiple weeks without a tight end going, and I would have no. The idea. only position I do it for is tight end, and yeah. I only, and I only do it like the first three guys I take. All have to have different bye weeks in my head, for the most part. At least two of them have to have different bye weeks. But we're doing it without different bye, like no <laughs> bye weeks. So like, I think if anything, people are scared to draft certain guys because they're on them and they don't want people to know they're on them. So I, so I want to hold it to their chest a little bit. That was, I was doing, I, I was doing some of that in Mike's $5 leagues. I was, I, I, in hindsight, I should have done it more because $5 isn't enough to get Intel on who I like, but in like the, Greg has structured this tournament in a way where it's enough incentive for me to start taking players like Johnny Langan Rutgers quarterback slash tight end in the, in the last round. I just took him in the last, in the, the last one and I, I, I got complimented on it. So I felt good about that. It's <laughs> a Rutgers guy. It's like an auto. You get one of those, a, a draft. Yeah. But yeah, I, I dude, I, I definitely feel that way. I, I don't like depending on the format and depending on how much buy-in there is like I, I don't want to fire all my bullets. Yeah. That, that the five like, and six dollar leagues we were doing, you're completely right. Not yeah. worth it. Because yeah. like there's just so many things you could smoke that league and it wouldn't be, you know, because of all the different outliers and variables that are in play here, it's like who knows what's gonna happen. I yeah. will say the closer we get to August, the more legitimate those leagues are gonna be because you'll well, just have needs, way Mike more needs information. To raise the stakes on them. I, which and I think he it makes sense for him to keep it low right now because there's like he's practically begging people to join them. But like once there gets more interest, once supply, once demand exceeds supply, then he can raise it to like fifty hundred dollars a he's, week. He still has to play himself though. What do you mean? If he's, uh, is, is he just hosting or is he dude, entering you don't himself? Think the CFF site is just a print fest over there. You don't it think- is a print fest, but. Yeah. I know that man's trying to buy a boat. He's trying to potentially buy a house. There's a lot of things moving in the works for him. Speaking of Mike, since you brought him up, he posted ADP de- uh, data this weekend. Did he? And I, he, yeah, he called me grumpy <laughs> because I messaged him and was like, "Well, that was the Ohio State stuff that he posted that he called me grumpy for." But the other part, I didn't actually say it to him. You can't really post tight end premium. ADP data and the other best ball data like that completely muddies the water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. From a data perspective, that's a very bad practice. Like that would not fly in, um, in my uh, professional data deck. Yeah. I mean, cause like the problem is, or the thing is right. Like Brock Bowers in a regular format, mid second rounder mayors, like a end of third, early fourth, but like they're pretty much both off the board in the first 12 picks like Brock Bowers yeah. is a top eight pick yeah so you like see it in the ADP data and it just and muddies it especially when three of the 10 drafts that he's posted are it so like that yeah. really changes things definitely yeah I was just looking at it and I, I pulled it up as Bowers as the like f- like 15th 18th highest ranked player what are you drinking? That's not Tropicalia. It's too dark. I finished. It's iced coffee. So you lied. Well, <laughs> there's my Tropicalia. <laughs> so finished. you lied your upper and your downer. Yeah, I'm yeah. down that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. 
All right. So I guess as far as um, spring game relevance, we all kind of are on the same page with um, relevance. Well, I think we need to wrap it up with one other thing here. No spring games really matter except for the Georgia one. Right. Georgia dominated, and they have four tight ends that are all going to be All-Americans. They're all going to be playing on Sunday. Yeah, there's not. They actually eliminated the receiver position, and it's only tight ends. Dude, I, if Jared's idea of running all four at one time, that would they'll warm my heart, dude. That would make me so happy. It would be amazing, <laughs> not a, a doubt. We need a fun but, quarterback on that play too, though. Don't look at me. I think it, I. I mean, Kenny McIntosh had a good throw in the the semifinal game. Maybe to break your guys' hearts. Maybe we uh, just put him out there full time. Couldn't be much worse. Stetson had two interceptions, right? <laughs> mm. All right. Well, we're going to move on. Andrew, you said you had a theory, a dynasty theory, how you kind of look up startup drafts for dynasty. Yeah. So oh. I, I, I've i never executed on this. And I think to actually do it, I the, 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 it would need to be in a dynasty league where we're talking about like multiple thousands of dollars a year in buying because it would be so time consuming. But I think – it's like the optimal way to play college fantasy football dynasty at this point. So I've done two st- two startups, I think, at this point. I'm in three dynasty leagues. I inherited the one that we're in with Wes, immediately turned that into a contender. But the your league was the first one I ever did, and it was a total disaster. Like I my startup was my league? league? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Like that that team, what did I do? I think I tried more or less just to win it all in year one didn't give any consideration to the dynasty components and that didn't like i just made i my first two picks were travis green and antoine goodley their senior years and they both sucked so that, <laughs> and so that didn't exactly get me off started off on the right foot and that it took me a year or two i think to kind of get that team to round in the playoff form I still am taking it down, but like uh, I'm in contention for a playoff spot every year. It's fine. In fairness, you had a strategy up until like this past season where you would really hoard picks. Yeah. But now you've gotten away from it. We've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, then, but- so then Heisey started a, a, a dynasty league this past year. And that year, my strategy was more or less, not necessarily trying to do this intentionally, but it played out this way where – about 50% of my picks, like alternating every other, were between kind of going for it now and playing more with a, an eye toward the future, um, which I think is like more or less, I think, a decent way to play Dynasty. I think I've, I, I feel really strongly that – so have you ever played Dynasty NFL or Dynasty Baseball? I've done Dynasty NFL. Okay. this People try this strategy in both those formats, and I think it can work in both. By this strategy, I mean the idea that you punt year one and you just start picking all these. Baseball, what you do is you just draft down like the top 100 prospect board, uh, more or less. And football, you punt year one, right, and you're just taking rookies. You're gathering rookie picks. You're trading out for future year rookie picks and stuff like that, and you're punting year one. You know you're going to lose. I think that that strategy has absolutely like you, if you do that in college fantasy football, it's you're just you're setting yourself up. You're, you're lighting money on fire for absolutely no reason. And the difference is, right? We are getting no more than three or four years utility of these guys, no matter what. At the most. So yeah. you are chucking away thirty-three 
to um to twenty five a minimum of twenty five percent of that guy's life on your team, right? And I think that when you give consideration to how a fantasy year actually plays out in college fantasy football, you don't need to like play. It's the idea that you can just draft down a prospect board or ESPN top 300 and that that is going to lock you into the best assets is not akin to what you can do in NFL dynasty and in MLB dynasty, right? And I don't believe that I'm talking from a perspective of a straw man fallacy where I've just created an, I think that's the right fallacy, where I create an argument that doesn't exist and then knock it down. I've seen people try to do this in college fantasy football, right? And it might work in the sense that you might come, your team that you draft, you're definitely losing year one, right? Or potentially strong possibility. And then your team might get stronger in year two and year three and year four. But after then, of course, it has no like that you're you're done with the startup, right? Yeah. But I don't think that you're locking yourself into any sort of guarantees for years two and three and four because the the point from which you're drafting as your source of truth for future year production is not that strongly correlated to future year production, right? Mm. Think about what we see on the waiver wire after week one. I, if you gave me an option of drafting from the wi- waiver wire after week one or an ESPN 300, um, for I think that you can make a good case that the waiver wire after week one is a better source of finding value in the net in the years coming up. So, it's kind of like the vampire league, like yeah, exactly, like you yeah. don't draft, but you just waiver wire it the whole way. You so, can probably be a top half, of the, so top half of the league. I mean, I think you can kill the idea of playing drafting from a startup purely for this year as a bad practice. I, 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 I mean, maybe it works yet, yeah, but I just don't think with dynasty it's give, I just don't think it's a great idea. And I, I don't think it's likely to lend itself to success just drafting seniors. Right. Um, though I don't, I think, I think you can get a win from that obviously. And I don't think the idea of punting year one is very good either. I think though, I had really good, like I had really good results um, from my idea of kind of coin flipping between the present and the future, but it wasn't necessarily the most guided and directional approach. It was just kind of top of top of uh, my mind. I think this is a good direction, but to optimize it, I think what you really need to do. And I tried to find this chart from through like Google images and try and find it from somewhere that isn't, that wouldn't result in me stealing it from from where I work because I don't feel like getting fired um, and stealing a proprietary asset. But neither none of you I don't think work in in media. I don't work in media direct directly. Like I just help these people figure out how to report on their data. But when you're running media, basically what you're doing is you're planning on ads running over a certain lifetime. And I might run ad A today and it runs for two weeks. And ad B might start in a few days and it runs a few weeks later or a few days later. Ad C might run, it might start in two, in two weeks and it might run a little later on. So I think what you actually want to do with College Fantasy Football Dynasty, is, and it's called flight planning. You're planning all these different flights that start at different dates and end at different dates. And I think optimally, and it re- would require such work to do it, is you want to, especially on Dynasty Leagues where – and Two of mine are like this at this point, where not yours, the other two I'm in, where they the rosters are just huge. And I 
my first inclination was to hate the idea of these huge rosters because I'm like, oh, like everyone's going to be owned. It's going to make waivers less fun. Um, it just it seems like, like, why don't we just make the league more teams? Like if we want all these players to be taken. But if you're playing in a league with these huge rosters, I think the optimal way to use that is to try and structure your roster like a media plan where you have players t- optimally entering your lineup across their lives, their their flights at different points. So the like, if you can time out, okay, let's say I have 10 quarterbacks. Maybe I have six that are starting right now. And then I have like two or three that project to get a starting job a year or two from now. And then two or three that project to get a starting job two years from now. I feel like that's an optimal way of trying to structure your lineup from the jumping off point, from the starting point, right from the point where you're drafting. And you can optimize on the fly too. It's not something that you just do that you just have to do from the point at which you draft. But I think like when we're working with these 50 team rosters, like I end up just collecting such trash on them. Like it's just players that like, maybe I saw him make like a play here, a play there. I'm like, Ooh, I think that guy is good. Like I'll own him just in case he pops, but it's not really with any true strategy, strategic nature or strategic vision. So I, and counter to the NFL side, right. Where, you don't really, I don't think you need to think about things that way, NFL, because these guys are playing for 15 years. Like, right. Even if you have a team that starts with, like, you, like I have Brady in an NFL league right now, and I have, uh, like, Kirk Cousins and on that same team, I have Mariota, and it's kind it's of out that way. But you, I don't think you need to think about that way because these guys are, especially at the quarterback position, they're, the idea is they, they're playing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You seem very passionate about this. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> This is just the way I talk when I get in the zone and actually. Well, you don't get like this often on on this podcast. That's why I'm I'm really just sitting back and enjoying this. I nice I, to try to find a way to circuit, you know, get in this conversation. I like the idea of like kind of not necessarily 100 percent going one for one, like on a startup, old new, old new. But I like the idea of kind of making it close um, because. I do think you're right. Like it's not a given that these young guys are going to be it, but you can find like the super young guys, like that the very high end that can make it. But like a good example, like Jack Sorensen, I picked him up in a dynasty league last year, like week three. Like it is completely possible to find a guy. It's not typical, but it's possible to find these guys that are like very high performers on the waiver wire. Like you're saying, so Get your old studs, you know, cycle in some young guys. And the nice thing is, too, right, like if you were to go like a a Gibbs or maybe like a Zach Evans, like you're still potentially getting some good year, like some good starts out of it. So, yeah. Well, the, what's tough about that, that whole idea, Andrew, is you have a guy that you say, okay, in two years he's going to be the starting quarterback. Let's say you grab that guy and he – finally gets to start and he's good for one year, then he's gone. So now you've, you've stashed this guy for really one year. Cause we've already talked about the turnover every three to four years. Like you're, you're, it, that's hard to do. Do you want the practical example of what got me thinking about this? Cause sure. That would be nice. Right. So <laughs> on my, on, in high season league where my team is offensively good, I've got like eight quarter eight quarterbacks or so right now that I feel super confident rolling out any given week. Uh, and I was like, looking at it, I was like, we only start two. 
what are my gonna what's the point of having eight these eight guys right now uh, so and so th- this this was the the thought process part of the thought process that led to me thinking well why don't i i want i want to, sh- to shop garrett trader just generally speaking he terrifies me from the standpoint of like as an asset that could explode or implode at any point and i didn't need that volatility on that team uh but i was like why like i could trade him for a pick right but and then take a take a like some guy off the ESPN 300, and mm-hmm. maybe that pops, and that's great. Or why don't I try and get a guy that I feel like is more likely to start to enter my lineup at the quarterback position once some of these guys burn off and go into the NFL? So I I flipped him for Kyle McCord, who I think is definitely getting that the OSU job when Stroud's gone after this year. And so from like, and that, that got me into thinking just from a strategic perspective, right. That I feel like that's the best way of stacking your assets. Like there's no point of me keeping all of these quarterbacks. No point in stacking a guy you're not ever going to play. What was that? No point in stashing a guy you probably won't ever start. You might as well trade him for somebody that will will be a starter for right. you next year or down the line. Right. Yeah. I don't. There's... I don't think he. I don't think he. Ha- I don't think if it is like a true like flipping him for a pick, that's a wild card, a true wild card, or fit, flipping him through for a pick that I will then draft a ESPN three hundred wild card with. Right. This is like the idea is I actually have some certainty that mm-hmm. when I think about what my lineup will be like next year. Like this, this is go, this is gonna be good to go. Yeah, until I a, guy, uh, a guy transfers in and ruins it all. And ruins exactly, everything. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a. I did that with not eight quarterbacks. I think I had like four or five quarterbacks. But like at a certain point, you're not gonna be able to roster all of them. All you're gonna do, like, you need to be able to fill in a bye week. You need to have kind of like a just in case someone gets hurt. But for the most part, and it's really only a quarterback thing because. Mm-hmm. Running backs, receivers, there's the flex position. We all play in leagues where you're starting probably two running back and three yeah. receivers, and then well, maybe so at least two. And there's two or three uh, flex spots. But like at a certain point, there's no reason to have five of them, right? Yeah. Like even if you're taking a mild hit on value, it makes more sense to get rid of one. Yeah. Rid, rid of what you think is the right one. And then adding elsewhere because then at least they can contribute. Whereas, like, um, you know, like last year I traded away Sam Howell for three flex players and my all my flex spots were weak. Well, it didn't necessarily work out like I wanted it to. And <laughs> it ended up because I have Jermaine Burton now out of it who sucked last year and now is going to be amazing for everybody. Um, right, right. But, like, I used Sam Howell for two weeks, let's say. Well, I got Chris Smith and – Jermaine Burton out of it, like, would you take two weeks of Sam Howell or a f- two seasons of those two? Like, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, if you have, let's just use my dynasty league. Like, we only start two quarterbacks, but if you roster, there's some teams in our league that have like nine and ten quarterbacks, and you look at their rosters, like half of them aren't playable. They're just not, and they're they're kind of like lottery ticket guys anyway they're hoping that they step into a good situation and then they can start them but 
even in my team, like I look, I'll have five quarterbacks and there's two usually that I really like a third one that I'm okay with on a bye week, maybe a fourth one. And then after that, like if I have like, if I have four great quarterbacks, I can only play two of them. So what am I holding on to a guy that's going to graduate after this year? Just because more so for security than capitalizing on his, uh, the asset and maybe getting assets in other positions that'll help me. I, I'm guilty. I'm terrible at it. Like I'll, like, oh, yeah, I'll, get, I'll get this quarterback. All right. I'll have him for kind of like a security blanket. Like if, if I lose one quarterback, I'm okay with his 25 points on every week just to, to hold me, hold me over till he comes back or whatever. I think that's fine. You get in these, these weird spots where you're like some, some a, lunatic in the league with highs. He just cut the New Mexico State quarterback from last year because of you, what you said, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you get in these weird spots, right? Like last year, I had uh, Malik Willis and Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young. You know, like you're you're not going to trade away one of those because, like, if you look at Hendon Hooker, and I love the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's not going pro. So you figured he was coming back. You get another year and Bryce young, he's not eligible to get drafted. So like, yeah, I think my fourth quarterback was solid and it was definitely playable. Nothing crazy. And my fifth quarterback was like maybe fringe, but like, you don't, you don't sell a, a, a hooker or a Bryce young. Cause you still have that next year to do it. You know, I think it's all like kind of Andrew said, like the whole flight planning of like, well, you know, if I keep this guy, am I keeping him because he might out of nowhere pop and I get him for the rest of this year or next year? Or am I just going to use maybe these eight spots at the bottom of my bench in some of these crazy large leagues and say, these are going to be my eight random guys that are young, that are could be in good spots, that have shown to be potentially valuable based on all these other metrics that you care about and see what happens. And then after a year, you can probably – get rid of a couple of them at least. Right. So. Okay. Question. So when you stash guys, do you stash them with the mindset of they're going to be a star for you one day or that you hope their potential always stays high, that you can flip them into a guy, you know, is going to perform for you. Like if you take a guy, you know, okay, it's probably not going to, it's probably not going to pop for at least another year. Mm Mm-hmm. I got, two, I got two great examples of this that I need to get rid of that I'm just too shy to do it. And both of them are from the same school, but it goes with the train of thought. You're drafting young guys that are four stars or five stars mm-hmm. in great offenses. So right. who are those two guys for me? Trey Bradford, Trey John, or <laughs> Trayon Bridges. Like, those guys are done. Like, <laughs> they're done. And I'm holding on to them because I'm scared. But, like, the whole idea of drafting those guys is you're just drafting a name in a in an offense, right? Yeah. Well, Bradford went to LSU, so, like, the value is there because running backs. But they have Kiner, who's been good. You got yeah, he, did, he entered the portal. He just entered yeah. the portal. And then he, like, left and then came back and then, like, left and then came back, right? Like, he went from Oklahoma to LSU. He left no, the portal. Kiner just entered the portal. Oh, Kiner did, but – yeah. Okay, so that's nice. So that's why I'm not going to get rid of Bradford. So Bridges, right? Like he even had some off-field stuff. Like that's what you're you're drafting for. And then you're just hoping that they hit. 
But the hard part for all of us, especially myself, is like, when do you learn to cut ties? That's my, my all thing. it takes is one situation where you don't cut a guy that he falls into the right position. I have a perfect example again Tanner Mordecai didn't beat out Spencer Rattler. I got him for free. And I was like, well, he's got a 5% chance of beating out Rattler. And so I'll, I'll put him on my bench for the time being. He played a little, looked decent. So I just held on to him. And then he transfers for to SMU. And now I'm going to make bad decisions for the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I got like Javon Baker. I held on to him for two full seasons thinking, okay, he it, maybe he pops for Alabama, right? He's the next big Alabama receiver. It's, you're kind of just hopeful at that point. But now he's transferred to Kentucky, and I've held on to him. I can't cut him now, right? Like I, I think you. I mean, I think you give it some time. But if he's not right. relevant in the first three, four weeks, you cut him, right? Yeah, uh, or you trade him now with the potential that he could be something, and somebody pays you a second round pick or third round pick for him, and then you know. But I'll actually question. answer your question. Yeah, go for it. Instead of whatever Chris Chris did. Um, uh, I feel like I'm like 80% of you're talking about where the idea was what, when we're making pickups with an eye toward the future, what's the strategic vision there, right? Yeah. Uh, Like, are you stashing them to eventually play them or are you stashing them to sell high essentially? I would say it's 80% for me just based on if I actually like the guy and think like, okay, Either we are, either I watch the guy play, or I can like actually contrive in my head a path for this guy to start or more startability at minimum. Like that eighty percent, that drives like eighty percent of my pickups that I have an eye for the future. Ten percent definitely along the lines of, especially like at the end of the year. So mm-hmm. not, your league is so different because the of the rules um, in terms of when we can pick up guys and keep them relative to like my the other two leagues I'm in. Where at the end of the year in the other two leagues it's time to like do some maintenance and actually like kill all the seniors and bring in guys that are like that have uh, that are going to be useful in go- years ago in ne- next year. And like Wes's league, I, I cut like 20 guys that, down the stretch and brought like, but the, the waiver wire is pretty thin because I think we're like 14 teams in there and 50 roster, 50 person rosters. So I like, I added a bunch of guys that like, I really have like no feel for it, but it was just like, basically maybe I could flip them. Like I added Jacoby Criswell, the dude that it has what what would you give him like a thirty percent chance of taking down Drake May for the UNC job? I feel like that feels fair. And I thought I thought it was like I I could see them making the wrong decision. I thought that like at the end of last year there was a chance that that was the case, and I still continue to think there's chance. So maybe maybe he gets a nod and I can flip him. So but like when I when I make that sort of decision, I think when I'm roster cleaning, uh, mm-hmm. let, let, let's actually let's find a better way to phrase that. I feel like that has like scary connotation um when i'm when i'm cleaning up my roster that's not really nice either when i'm when i'm getting rid of when i'm putting aside the seniors and trying to add add down the stretch for upcoming seasons that's what i have an eye towards players then hey maybe i could flip them if if one or two things breaks right and then the last 10 percent is my conspiracy theories truly players that like there is nothing that has like actually come to pass in recent times at least that uh may that like gives me a real light at the end of the tunnel it's more kind of just like a hope and a prayer but like 
it's college fantasy football, so it can happen. So my my strategy is like at the end of the season, like in our league, you know, like the last available pickup time yeah. is I try to get guys that are young freshmen, sophomores that I feel like they might step into a, a prominent role next year and then grab them at the end of our season and then potentially flip them in you know, March, April, May, leading into the season, like after a good spring game performance, so like oh, everyone goes to check to see if he's available and they can put him in their draft queue, right? And then I have him. So then, <laughs> and, then, and then somebody goes and offers me a trade for him, and then you go from there. Um, now, I say all of this as if I just – I'm so good at it, but I'm, I'm really not. I just – the one out of 100 that I've ever done – that I get and I make the trade. I'm like, hell yeah. I just flip that nothing into a third. Oh, it's a great feeling. Yeah. I, the problem for me is that I like trading is difficult enough as it is. People, mm. the people that want a guy aren't active. They're not paying attention. So like for me, I'm never going to pick up a guy just for the potential of possibly trading him. Like I might end up trading him, but it's more because then I hit on him and I have other options and he's the guy I find I can get rid of. I don't, I, and maybe I think Andrew, you're probably the best trader out here. Cause you're just, your, 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 ten, your tenacity is out there and people will just <laughs> give in, you know, he keeps um, sending all, the same offer. Yeah. We've all been there, but <laughs> I largely just think I'm just trying to accumulate talent and see what happens. And then if I end up trading that guy, I end up trading him, but like you accumulate talent and then parse through who is worthy for your team. And then, yeah. well, here's what's going to happen, Zach, right? Like you pick up a guy, he turns out to have a great spring game with some nice potential. And then you try to trade him for a second rounder. And they say, well, all he had was a good spring game and he's not done anything in college football before. Yeah. And he's a former three-star and he's this like you have like how are you getting any value out of that like you're going to get better value than what you got right i think it comes really, down but... to what you believe he is like if you if you really don't believe in him but you think that okay well maybe they'll believe in him and you you picked him up for free at the end of the season you flip him into a pick that you can pick who you want you better have a high enough pick because like at a certain point in these leagues what does a fifth rounder do in our league what's a fourth rounder do in our league they're just all you know, when you get to that point in these offseason, well, in these rookie offseason drafts, like you could hit on it, but like a guy you take in the fourth round, you could have gotten in the eighth round because everybody's got their guys and their pick comes up. Yeah. So they pick that guy. That's another good point. Like everybody values, like in the NFL, is insane. Everybody kind of has the same values for the most part on all the players in the NFL. Like you know who's good, who's not. There's a couple sleepers, if you will. Um, but the player pool is pretty set. There's there's not gonna be any like huge surprises. Where in college, you and Andrew might be on a guy that I've not even read about, whereas vice versa, I could have a couple guys that you've never even heard of that I'm gonna believe in that you have no interest in. Um, I'm actually I'm trying to pull up something, but um, no, I think it, there's a lot of factors, especially depending on league size and everything. Because you got you guys say you guys play in a bigger league than mine. Back, actually, Andrew, I want to address something you said. 
He took <laughs> offense to something that you said. No, no, no. It wasn't talk a crap about his league. And no, no, no. It wasn't that I was offended. I'm just this curious. Is, this is Andrew's last ever episode at BTR. <laughs> um, when you said, like, when you pick up players at the end of the season, like you said, my league is different. Was that a good different or a bad different? Because we, we like, just so everybody knows, like, I, I put a, a limit on or a deadline on when you can just freely pick up players at the end, like not at the very end, like it stops for everybody and you can't just churn all your seniors out. If you didn't make the playoffs and go recycle them and get a bunch of young guys for the next season, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, you have to do it like way before the playoffs are starting. I, I think that that uh, that sort of league structure has nothing but positive uh, outcomes for the health of the league, right? Um, I mean, I just talk about it, I, or I was talking about it through the lens of I play the game differently relative to the rules because if, if you're not, I mean, you're not you're not trying, um, right? But I yeah, I mean, the, I think we've definitely seen in some, or I've seen in some of the dynasty leagues and keeper leagues that I've been in like it people get upset rightfully so when people are burning their teams uh down and it's having an impact on the league right uh when they're just making trades that maybe that send all of their assets to one team uh or cutting everyone on, on their team uh right because they're out of the playoffs so uh, anything that can disincentivize that or at least make the calculus of that more uh, more interesting, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, it's a positive. Well, because what ends up happening, right, is like Andrew or myself, whoever, right, that's not going to make playoffs, has a sixth-year senior, a fifth-year senior, or a guy that's no doubt going to go to the NFL. Like, why would we have them on our roster, right? You just get rid of them because there's no yeah. point. You pick up a young guy, and then all of a sudden now whoever's got the most waiver money available it's got a stud, right? Like that's the whole thing that like annoys people. And it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, my thinking was always that you don't want teams that aren't in the playoffs, basically fueling the teams that are in the playoffs. Because if you have a bunch of seniors that, that are on your team that are really good, if you haven't traded them away because you missed the trade deadline, that you drop them, you cut them. And now all those teams in the playoffs can have completely different teams now because they can go pick up all of your best players. That that was really the only reason I did it. Yeah, because I don't I don't want, I want the integrity of the playoffs to be the team that you had all season, and you're not getting like for example, like let's say you had uh, Stroud on your team and you didn't make the playoffs, and somehow you didn't make the playoffs, and uh, you you cut him. And now a team that's already in first place goes and gets Stroud, and now you're not even going to touch that team. So I mean, I think you'd be yes, you're right. I don't think you would. I don't think you could get rid of Stroud. I think you'd be dumb to drop him. Well, well, I'm just saying the the principle or the idea is out there, and that's you're correct. Yeah, I'm I'm more so saying a guy that would probably be going pro, or if he's you know he's out of eligibility, either way. But Chris, there's something you said. Um, that kind of sparked my interest. It's like, what is a fifth rounder in our? Don't league? go and, ahead. Go ahead. And you know, I, 
I actually I was wanting to see where I drafted Durant, Mateo Durant. <laughs> and it was the it was this coming. And it was the third round. But what interesting enough though is you know who was drafted in the fifth round? I want you to look. I you gotta zoom in on that thing if you want me to see it. I want you to see. That didn't help me. Fifth round pick. Yeah. That's how good at picking I am. I got Raheem Sanders in the fifth. Find where I took Malik Willis and then come back to me. Okay. But the thing is, right, like, where could I have gotten Raheem Sanders? I could have gotten him in the sixth or seventh. That was my point is that, like, relative, like, yeah, you just had to come hit me with it. We talked about Duke football this this past week, and, of course, that (laughs) – I should have never done that. Because it's my, I could, and the thing is, I went for it. I never go for it and make trades. So I was like, you know what? Sure, let's do it. I'll give a pick and Raheem Sanders, and we'll call it a day and let's see what happens. And then, you know, Duke's offense is Duke's offense. And I got, <laughs> like, I'm looking at some of these picks. I'm like, can I, these, yeah, can you yeah, zoom I'll, in on the, the round five? Let's just take a look for S's and G's. I took Brad Roberts fifth round. Strong pick. Can you guys see all those? Schrader by Golf Coasters. Okay. Billingsley could have, could be potentially good. Jared Hall is a good pick. Who, who, who took him? Oh, I did. Yeah, I couldn't read when I said that. I was giving you props. <laughs> Stribling is a good pick. Look at these picks in this. Yeah. Coastal like, Carolina D did time, well. At the time, these all looked like really good picks, right? <laughs> go, go go look at the sixth round. Okay. Just because let's see how hot we got. Oh shoot. How do I get that thing over there? Oh boy. Uh, uh, I just want to can you see it? Sixth round? We need a little bit more. I can't we got a Vellis Jones. Okay. Uh, JJ McCarthy. Michael Jackson. Devin Tompkins. You're not gonna find a better pick than that. <laughs> Nikosi Perry, I had him, but I didn't draft him. But other than that, there's not a whole lot there. Um, sixth round. Like seventh round, you're looking at Shamari Brooks. Yeah. Shamari Brooks. Uh, we got. If there's a guy that we need to get in the pod, it's Shamari Brooks. <laughs> we he had another year. He had another year. He should have came back. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because yeah, you appreciate said, that. Who could you get in the fifth round? Apparently, a lot. That's the fifth round's the sweet spot in our draft. I think that's kind of where the end of the good picks are. Like the other ones are just really, really hopeful picks after that. Um, but yeah. So, in terms of dynasty, we kind of covered all different angles of how you want to attack it. But I think that's a very interesting discussion. Andrew was very passionate about, and I'm. I'm I have an, I have another dynasty topic that I'm even more passionate about. That oh, right. we're not going to talk about it now. But it's no. just a te- tease for another show. But I've been mm. workshopping this theory for probably like six months at this point. Oh, oh, already... so, so, before you get into that, I'm not getting into it. I'm, I'm no, 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 I think every episode you you workshop a theory. We need a cat's theory on every single episode. <laughs> just, just related to society, the economy, or is it strictly fantasy? Preferably fantasy, but we'll take anything you can give us. Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, you, that brain is moving way too fast. You got some <laughs> Dude, good I'm, stuff. Dude, I'm Northeastern liberal elite. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah, I think we got it's good stuff. Honestly, we're we're different. We have to set ourselves apart from all these other bland college football podcasts. <laughs> really, really quickly here. I know we said we wouldn't talk USFL, but oh. that's pretty amazing that somebody got cut by wanting a piece of piece of pizza, right? You what are you that? talking about? I saw, I saw that. I didn't really read into it, but I the, did. The worst part about okay, so Davion Smith got cut from the Pittsburgh Maulers for disrespecting a hotel worker, I think is what it was. And they posted, USFL or Pittsburgh posted a video of the coach talking to him about why, like, basically, like, if you got fired at your job tomorrow, like, there would be, like, a three-minute video on you getting fired. That's what they did to this guy. And it comes down to the fact that he didn't want to eat chicken salad, and someone basically was like, is that going to, and, like, want, he was like, can I get pizza, basically? And they were like, no, is that going to be a problem? And he said yes, and he walked away. <laughs> and they, and he got cut. Amazing. Amazing stuff this year. Wait, stick to his guns. Didn't the Giants have some wild story with that that similar? Maybe or some guy got cut involving food. I forget what it was, though. <laughs> so let me ask you, do you guys like chicken salad? I used to not be about that life at all, but I'd I prefer pizza. I can't deny that. I definitely prefer pizza. <laughs> chicken salad chick is delicious. Yeah. But uh, give me pizza all day. I've never eaten there. My wife has eaten there multiple times. She always says, oh, you'd probably like it. They I got don't... a little bit of everything. If I, I like never... a food, then you'll like a food. Because my pickiness is just toast. It's crazy. Okay. Well, it's one of those things like I probably would like it if I actually went there. It's getting me in the door is probably going to be the hardest part. Because there's other things around there that I would rather have. Uh. That's the thing. I'm not really picky. Once I'm somewhere and there's a menu, I'll find something to eat. I'm not going to not eat. But getting me in the doors, you got you really got to sell me. Andrew, final question. Are you a picky eater? Slash maybe what's like a food thing that would be considered weird if you got it in there? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my food tastes aren't are, are not super interesting. I was I was definitely picky growing East up. Northeastern elite food. Are you I, like the guy I just, that's like I buy tomatoes? Oh. You're like I was just gonna ask. Are you like the guy that eats because like you have to because you no, need nutrients? Not. Okay, good. Because yeah. those are the the most interesting people. You gotta feel bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I find tomatoes absolutely offensive from the texture perspective, but I mean, I'm I'm all about ketchup, so. It's the softness of it. It's just gross. weird. It's gross. Yeah. All right, I have one question, food-related question, just so we stay here. Three toppings on a pizza, go. All meat stuff, I don't care. Pepperoni, bacon, sausage. Like if, if this is the only pizza you could eat for the rest of your life, what is it? I... I love meat on pizza, but I would not go all of them. I've actually come back from that a little bit. I'd probably go like pepperoni, sausage, sausage, bacon. You know, you put too much on it, it just gets overboard. Pepperoni, spicy Italian sausage, jalapenos. Oh, <laughs> well, you like a good kick then, huh? Yes. I, I could eat that pizza every day, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Andrew? 
I think it's a margarita pizza with pepperoni on it. I also have a theory that a pizza is not a pizza unless it has a meat on it. It's a wild theory. <laughs> like a cheese pizza is just cheese bread. No, I'm not doing that. I need a meat on the pizza. I don't care. Chicago, Chicago style pizza. Thoughts? I've never I, had it. I want to try. I think I've eaten it maybe once. I'll never touch it. I'm anti cheese. I need light cheese on my stuff, anyways. I will never touch. So you don't like my big deep dish? That, I mean, is that what you're talking about? I just it. I extra. I go light cheese. Domino's is perfect for me. I can go light cheese, extra sauce. I'm a I'm a sauce guy, so I'm in heaven. You no, know, I've never done that. I'm in heaven. I like cheese, fine. I but it seems interesting. But I did have somebody tell me to do the um, hearty marinara sauce instead of the whatever the default. Um, can you do that and let me know? Is this dominant? I've done it. I've done it. It's good. It's good. Now I don't What's know the difference. Like, I don't know that it's a game changer or anything, but it does taste a little different. I don't know how to really explain it to you. Just try it. You're a big sauce guy. You probably like it. Big sauce guy, big time. Were you guys Same impacted? Podcast, big sauce guy. Big sauce guy. That's my new Twitter handle. Were you guys impacted by the when Domino's rebranded and redid their bread? their crust with like the garlicky stuff. Remember when they did that? I, mean, I live in, I live in Jersey city and work in New York. I'm not eating Domino's. There's <laughs> a time okay. and place for Domino's. Okay. Man. Chris, yes. I was impacted because Domino's used to suck. Like I, I like it. I hated Domino's. Like I would never eat it now. Really? Now it's, they did whatever they did is great. It actually tastes way better. Nobody like thinks Domino's is great pizza. It's trashy, <laughs> just great six dollar pizza. Like I can literally it, it is go what it is. Uh, three minutes from my house. Yeah, it's, and bring it's it home. cheap. It's you yeah. know, it's, it's carry it's out deal. Quick, carry For, out like, seven ninety nine a large pizza. Like, the one around me does it perfectly. Whatever I ask, you know, whatever I put in there, they do it. Every, like there's value in that. It's not going to be like your great authentic, you know, New York style pizza from a like a mom and pop shop but okay so how much do those pizzas run you andrew oh i mean worth the, probably like 18 bucks yeah i got a pizza for six bucks <laughs> in 20 minutes and it was delivered to my door like i get there's there's a certain appeal to Domino's. that's all yeah. i'm saying now we don't have the luxury of having just like all these pizzerias around our um, at least I'm about, I don't. I'm about to order right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are you ordering while we're live here still? Um, you... <laughs> I mean, Rustique Pizza in Jersey City is my go-to spot. Maybe they'll sponsor us and give me free pizza down the line. That but, would be pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, but it'll have, it'll have his little like right on his name. It'll have like brought to you by the bottom yeah. line. I've always wanted a pizza sponsor. Yeah, that's enough pizza talk for the night, uh, for the evening. So. Um, until next time, guys. I'll see you guys later. Peace, you guys.